Welcome to day 196 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are Isaiah chapters 40 through 42, and we're adding Psalm 82. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Isaiah chapter 39 ended on an ominous note. Jerusalem fell into the abyss of exile. Then there's a long pause. The events of chapter 39 likely took place just after 700 BC, but then the events that open chapter 40 likely took place around 540 BC. Thus, the gap between the two chapters is about 160 years, a long pause indeed. And during that painful pause, a great deal happened to Judah. There was the disastrous reign of Manasseh and the reforming rule of Josiah. There was the emergence of Babylon as a superpower and the inevitable destruction of Jerusalem, the tearing down of the walls, the burning of the temple, and the deportation of most of the people to Babylon. The grief of exile is summarized well by the phrase repeated four times in the opening chapter of the Book of Lamentations. Jerusalem weeps in the night, and here's the repeated phrase, there is no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her, no one to comfort her. In chapter 40, after this long period of loss and lament, the word of God breaks in, comfort, comfort to my people. The word is a word of comfort. Verses 1 through 11 articulate the hope and deliverance that will set the tone for the rest of the book of Isaiah. First, God announces that there has been enough exile, enough suffering, enough penalty, enough payment, enough displacement. Instead of punishment and exile, it's time for the people to receive forgiveness and freedom. I think it's important to notice that in Isaiah, translators put the comma after the word cries. A voice cries, comma, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Matthew and Mark pick up this line as a prophetic word of expectation about John the Baptist. In the Gospels, translators tend to put the comma after the word wilderness. A voice cries in the wilderness, comma, prepare the way for the Lord. John the Baptist is a voice out in the wilderness, inviting the people to leave the city and come out to hear the word of the Lord. But in Isaiah, the voice of God meets the people in the wilderness of exile and invites them to come home. The text imagines the people leaving on a superhighway across the desert between Babylon and Jerusalem, making possible an easy, triumphant, dazzling return home. Highways were built in the ancient world primarily for processional events, where Rulers and their gods could parade in victory. Now, it's Yahweh and Israel who will parade in conquest. The nations that oppressed Israel will now see the exiles go by and will be able to see that it is Yahweh who makes this joyous return possible. During the initial call of Isaiah back in chapter 6, the prophet protested their God's call by acknowledging his own lack of holiness. Here, in a similar way, The prophet protests this hopeful call of God by asserting that the people are ill-equipped for the redemption. They are like grass, fragile and temporal. That may be true, but the response of hope is that the word of our God stands forever. The offer of comfort is not based on the suitability or qualification of the people, but upon the resolve and power of God. The good news for the Judean exiles is that God is a warrior and a shepherd. God is both majestic and merciful. Yahweh is strong enough to deliver them from bondage, but also gentle enough to attend to their need for healing and restoration. Verses 12 through 17 celebrate the majesty of God as deliverer. The vastness of creation is small compared to the Creator. Who could dare advise God, or who is wise enough to even teach Yahweh? There's no reason to be intimidated by the Babylonian gods. Rival nations are nothing compared to Yahweh. 
In fact, verses 18 through 25 belittle the gods of the nations by calling them idols made by the hands of people. They have no power on their own. The powers that previously held the Judeans captive have been defeated before the reality of God's power. In the final verses of the chapter, verses 26 through 31, the prophet acknowledges the question that has plagued the exiles. Verse 27 says, My way is hidden from the Lord. My God ignores my predicament. The people assumed that God no longer cared, but God does care and God does see. God is the one who created in the beginning and who can now recreate even out of the chaos of exile. Chapter 41 is lengthy and forms a kind of literary sandwich. On the outsides are two speeches that imagine courtroom trials where both Yahweh and the idols of the nations are on trial. In the middle are three salvation oracles assuring the people of God's love and care. The first courtroom drama takes place in verses 1 through 7. After everyone is called into the court, Yahweh makes his presentation with two who questions. Who has awakened the one from the east? This question almost certainly references the rise of Cyrus and the Persians in the east who took over the territory for 200 years until the rise of Alexander the Great and allowed the Judean exiles to leave the defeated Babylon. In the text, God is being given credit for raising up Cyrus as Judah's deliverer. The second who question goes all the way back to the beginning of creation. Who is the creator? Yahweh is the creator and is also the recreator. God's the first mover and will also be the last one. In response, the nations and their idols tremble. Those who make the idols even must nail them down so they will not be knocked over by the force of God. Verses 8 through 13 address Israel directly with an oracle of salvation. The God who rescued the people of Israel in the past will do it again. All who have held the people captive will be overturned. Verses 14 through 16 call the people not to fear, but to prepare for the work of newness and to celebrate in God's redemption. Verses 17 through 20 imagine the salvation as the renovation of the creation. All of the dry places of exile and wilderness will be transformed into places of flourishing and life. Verse 21 through the end of the chapter return to the courtroom. The rivals of Yahweh and their adherents are now on the witness stand and given their day in court. They are asked hard questions, but they can't answer because they're silent. The idols cannot speak. They have done nothing in the past, have no power for the future, so God's people should not fear them or obey them in the present. They are all frauds. Only Yahweh can be trusted for deliverance. Chapter 42 opens with the first of what are often referred to as the servant songs. There's a great deal of scholarly debate about the identity of the servant in these texts. It's likely that Israel is the servant in the imagination of the prophet. God is the master who has called up Israel for particular purposes in the world. Israel has servant work on God's behalf to do. However, without question, these texts also get caught up in the messianic hopes and expectations of God's people and become an important theological source for interpreting the life and ministry of Jesus as he recapitulated or re-embodied the life and purpose of Israel in his own life and mission. Verses 1-9 through nine contain the first of these servant songs. The calling of Israel as God's servant has been to reorient the relationships of all nations to God and to one another in the light of God's purposes. Here, they're called to do that with vulnerability and risk rather than through coercion and violence. Israel's work is to transform the Gentile world and to make it a welcoming place for the vulnerable. Indeed, God is making all things new through his servant. 
Verses 10 through 17 break into a new song for the new world. The new song celebrates the possibilities of this new world under the rule of Yahweh. It may have appeared under Babylonian rule that God was silent, but that silence is now broken and the birth of the new can begin. Verses 18 through 25 turn from praise to rebuke. In the past, Israel fell into judgment because they were blind and deaf to the things of God. But now, who will listen and who will respond to God's invitation to newness? Our brief psalm for today, Psalm 82, has much in common with Isaiah chapter 41. It too imagines God entering a great cosmic courtroom. There, the psalmist imagines all the gods and all the nations on trial. The primary charge against the gods and the nations is the way they have shown favoritism toward the wealthy and powerful and have, in response, misused the poor. They've ignored those who are the neediest, and instead they've oppressed them even further. Not only will God bring judgment, but the psalmist calls on God to rise up and bring that judgment quickly. This second great section of Isaiah is not only filled with some of the most important words of hope in all the scripture, but with that hope comes a particular calling. Notice how often in these chapters the proclamation of newness comes with the call for God's servants to become the embodiment of that newness for the sake of the world. That embodiment, as we will see, is often costly. That's why these servant texts imagine the servant to be suffering. Like a woman giving birth, a new creation comes, but it comes with great labor pains. But God is the one at work inviting us to participate and celebrate with him in that great redemption. The hope and the call continue tomorrow. As we continue reading, we're reading chapters 43 through 45 for tomorrow. I'll talk to you then.